Today on the Free Thinking Podcast, we have Natalie Slesser, Head of Customer and Product Futures at Lendlease, beaming in from Sydney on the Friday just before Christmas. Natalie is one of Australia's few social psychologists specialising in the built environment, with a razor-sharp focus on the future of living, leisure and work. She talks about how great placemaking should start with the ending, the value of a cultural risk assessment, and how Silicon Valley offers inspiration to the city as the ultimate perpetual field test. Hello, Natalie. Good evening in Sydney. Thank you for joining me. Hello, lovely to be here. So nice. Early morning your time, early evening my time. It works. I know, but Friday before Christmas, my God, you're a superstar. So thank you, (laughs) thank you. So I have a few questions for you uh, before you hit the gin and tonics. And so one thing I wanted this, you and I were talking the other day about, you know, in your in your world, in the way you work, you often talk about starting with the ending. And I find that really, really interesting in terms of how you might imagine that goal, that ideal experience and work back from there. And I wonder if you could tell me a bit more about that. Yes, it's um, I love I love the idea of starting with the end of the story, given the work that we do. It's about I work at Lendlease and it's uh, we would pride ourselves to be placemakers when we're at our best. And to envisage a place, which is firstly hard to define in some ways, it's a, it's an idea and a conglomeration of, I don't know, property and experiences and negative space and people. That's what a place is. Um, to do that, you, you don't you need to kind of envisage the whole before you're able to then break that down and compose the individual components. So I love starting with the end. Where, what would be, what, what would we want the ideal piece of feedback to be? What do you want your mum to say about it? What do you want the business CEO to say was the impact on their business by going to a precinct we've, we've been involved in? So we love to start there. Sort of fantasy feedback, I call it. Where's our fantasy feedback? Who is it from, firstly? And what are they saying? And we start there and we back solve. And in my mind, placemaking works beautifully when we do that. Yeah, oh, I like that very much. I think particularly kind of imagining kind of what your mum might say. I think that's fascinating. <laughs> which, it's and, fascinating. Which, you know, relates to you know, the thing that, you know, I remember you saying that was about, you know, sort of what well, Rory Sutherland, the sort of advertising guru, uh, used to talk about sweating the small things. And I suppose within that, you know, if we're thinking about kind of what what, what one's mum might say, then there's going to be things about this experience that are way beyond the property. And, you know, there's so much around hosting and technology and those little details of service that make all the difference. And is that what you're saying? Is that how far we're going here? I think when you envisage the fantasy feedback from lots of different perspectives, you inevitably end up with the human stories surfacing if you really do put yourself in those other shoes in the future which is two two ways of doing it um but i think you inevitably have the little human stories and those i love that the little pieces of service the little bits that serve your day well or make it easy for others it's too tempting with large-scale developments and cities to to think about the grand gestures first and it's inevitable we need to do that too that it's about architecture which I love, but at the end of the day, architecture is in service to all of us, not the other way around. 
Um, and I don't suppose that anybody thinks that, but I, I think it's worth reminding ourselves as we go through the process. Design is so sexy and everyone wants to get involved in designing it. But it doesn't mean success is not architecture. Success is human success. And so putting that first is, is critically important to me. So how do we stop people falling in love with the end product? Because, you know, like you say, you know, people love, you know, the, the, as soon as it becomes architecture, because as soon as it, you know, people are picking up their pens, there's something very kind of thrilling about that. But without yes. the research, without the investigation, um, it's not going to work. And I wonder what, what you thought about that. I remember you, you talked to me before about kind of phase zero and yeah, how, right. how that might work. That's right. I think we have this uh, a mindset of phase zero and quite often an activity of phase zero in some of our bigger projects where you would just start to build the end result without building the building. So what are the events and activations? What are the What's the culture? What's the brand of this place? Who's talking on its behalf? And start that now. You don't need to pour any concrete or dig a hole to create a community of people around a particular purpose or aligning on some ideas for their cities or their places of work or their places of residence. You can start that now and stand for something and actually try ideas on for size. It can be a precursor to the architecture. And then ideally, you're, as you're listening and as we're doing phase zero and some fun things, just you know, activities and events, but other things too, you're learning as you go along and then you can iterate the architecture. I, I What you were just saying is people love to fall in love with it. And, and as soon as you've drawn something, you're not, you know, that that drawing never coming off the page. You know, I, I always said, don't don't draw anything too early. Just don't yeah. don't get tempted to do that because you fall in love with it, or you spend a lot of time manipulating something that hasn't been briefed particularly well. Yeah. Or I uh, have to admit, in the property sector and development sector, you fall in love with the number. So how many square meters or feet are we going to get out of it, and potentially what's the reward, financial reward from that? Now we'll always try and get the best reward for our for our customers and for our shareholders, of course, but it's very hard to unsay a number yeah. <laughs> at the end of the day. So I just like wait, just wait and let's yeah. see if we can get some of this uh, placemaking and human success built in yeah. to the number yeah. Yeah. <laughs> before we yeah. say it out loud. Mm. So help me, tell me what that might look like in terms of a, a scene in your offices and studios, because I, I often find people will be talking about uh, the live experience and what they're aiming for. And, you know, um, and, and there's lots of great kind of rhetoric about going, well, we're going to do this and there's going to be this kind of, a, it's going to attract these kind of people and there's going to be that kind of numbers. And, and you know, we're going to write these kind of articles and that sounds great. And then I go into office and they've got a big plan and they've got a red line <laughs> around it. And nobody is actually getting into what those live bits because they're obsessing on the drawing. So much of what you're talking about is also is temporal, isn't it? it there is the time bit. And so how are you relating these elements? Well, you got you have to join the dots. I mean, at the end of the day, we, you, like you said, it's easy to say these things, and then you go into the development offices and it's nothing like it. So, um, And our office is full of financiers and project managers and engineers, as well as us envisagers and others. Um, however, if you can measure it, you can manage it in that good old-fashioned project management terminology. We've set ourselves really real targets around social impact. We're going to generate $215 million of social impact measurable by uh, 2030, and that is set in stone. It is inside our strategy for that time. We've also set a sustainability target against um, 
1.5 degree alignment, which is a really big stretch for development and construction business. But nonetheless, this social impact uh, measure is really critically important in making sure it has a level playing field with any other intervention you might be doing. And it sounds a bit boring to say it, but if it's there and it's measurable and we're accountable for it, and my KPIs in the business, it sounds very dull to talk about KPIs on a lovely Friday afternoon, but it's it's true. I mean, most big organizations, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it and you won't deliver it. Mm. So that's kind of what it looks like. It gets a level, it gets an equal batting, if you like. It gets equal voice at every meeting if we do that. Yeah. It's interesting that, isn't it, that you, one has to, and I think we're going to increasingly see indices for experience and mm. so you know, that, mm-hmm. that all about you know what, what is the return on experience is becoming ever more important because you know if people are gonna you know play there work there live there there are so many more drivers than what it means for the physicality i remember getting seeing some instagram data for king's cross and i was in a huge meeting where lots of people were talking about king's cross they're going well you know it's the master plan and it's oh it's the building and it's it's oh it's it's the patina of the old and new and then you looked at the instagram data and you saw that 86 percent of the images taken in king's cross by people between the ages of 16 and 34 were food <laughs> and and so much of it was actually caravan, which was this brilliant thing that you know this restaurant was you know put there. This small restaurant that had been kind of you know up, up to the north there on sort of Mount Pleasant, and then you know Argent had brilliantly gone to these people that we're really going to help you build something bigger. We're going to help you make it work. We're going to you know pay for you know a lot of the upfront costs, and that became the sort of catalytic move. Mm. And I'm interested in that from your point of view, because it strikes me that Absolutely. you're very good at those supporting those catalytic moves. And I wonder if you can yeah. tell me a bit about that. Yeah, I love the fact you mentioned food. I often think food is glue, as we say, and it is really just the universal truth of a lot of places we, we um, operate. Barangaroo is a very good example of, of how we can evidence some of this. We, Barangaroo is a big development in Sydney, for those who don't know, uh, a collection of residential retail and really underpinned by very large, three large commercial towers, office towers. Um, and in its inception, um, the the urban retail team, who are really fantastic, and those writing all of their kind of place-making piece, um, decided that Sydney doesn't have, unbelievably, a very good wandering around dining zone at that time. So for, there's a few tourist zones like that, which are very successful, but for the local so they, in order to get Sydney side, there's a city of villages, Sydney, and we all kind of squirrel back from the city and into our village or our suburb, and we dine there. And people don't stay in the city. So what the team did is go and get everybody's favourite restaurant to open a small branch in Barangaroo. So when that familiarity, we, you know, you, you pop up your local restaurant and think, oh my gosh, my favourite yeah. fish and chip shop's here. It's unbelievable. So you definitely go, you meet others who would share with you their favourite, and which is right next door, and we've just created this really interesting. And then to to really ground that out, the team did an amazing job getting uh, one of the most famous chefs in the world, whose name escapes me, um, to shut down his restaurant and do a pop up at the end um, of our of our whole strip of um, little pop up restaurants. So catalyzing this idea of local and global was a really uh, was a big underpinning of phase zero there. You know, we pop up things halfway through the development, try them out. Three of them converted into a proper tenancy in the lease and they're still there today. So, and now there's, you know, 50 restaurants and it's an absolutely beautiful place. 
But uh, food is a big part of that, and trying stuff out. Don't be frightened. Everyone says this, but don't be frightened to fail. So popping something up and supporting it, becoming famous because somebody else is there, not because we made it. That's that's yeah. the idea. It's hard to hard to do sometimes in architecture. But I I, I want to circle back on something you talked about yeah. with placemaking and. Um, measuring place, actually. It's incredibly difficult to measure whether it's... You kind of can feel if it's working or not when it's all done. So we've worked for the last two years on creating something called the Thriving Places Assessment. So how do you assess on a... And there's many place measurement style tools. We felt that there was still a gap in um, crowdsourcing some of that rather than a professional assessment. It is assessed by our community. And we've spent a long time trying to quantify the return on experience that you said just now. And so that we know, you know, our vision is to create the best places so that we know when we've got there or we know specifically what's not uh, working and we can tweak it for the long term. You don't just deliver and then mic drop out of there and it's like, bye. Uh, you, 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 we want to really be placemaking. It goes, it goes on and on. And ideally, over time, places are valued thriving places are valued more than single assets and um, because that's where the source of all truth comes in the in the developer world and the asset management world is go back to yeah. the valuer and we think place has real value and we're prepared to spend a long time and do the long haul and measure it as best we can yeah. tell me about that tweaking because i think it's you know what often happens isn't it and maybe this is a, a story from the past and it will happen less and less but you know Often it's within people's jobs, job titles to, to manage the asset. to, you know, a lot of this is to, you know, get the, the greatest sort of capital receipt and then leave it as long as mm. possible. But what you're talking about and every all about your body language, it's very active. It's yes. very much, it's a perpetual field test in mm -hmm. your version of this. I wonder if you can tell us a bit about that, because I remember when we were, in, you know, particularly some of the Google conversations we've been having, a lot of that is about, you know, allow for the constant live laboratory, allow for the tweaking, starting small and iterating and iterating and iterating. And I wonder if you could tell us a bit about that, because that might be surprising to people thinking about the scale you're working at. Yeah, there's some of that that work is we're very proud to be partnering with Google over in Silicon Valley, very large scale, district scale, if you like, not precinct even, district scale um, partnership and very much a partnership, which is fantastic. But I think in, in terms of tweaking and we are with the, it's very iterative, the creative process, as, as everybody knows, in any field, in development specifically, you've got an awful lot of stakeholders from the authorities to the community, to your um, landowner partner, to the developer themselves, the constructor. I mean, it's just a it's just a really complex web of people and so forth. So it really needs to be iterative. It really has to be a co-creation, and that's the complexity of it. It's not about saying let's design a great building on a patch of dirt. It's actually like right, how do we get this whole system design, and that's really really difficult. And it's. Well, it's difficult, but it's actually fantastic. I mean, we thrive out of this complexity. This is the kind of stuff we geek out on. Like, it's so, at least we just love it. I absolutely love it. Um, but it is it is iterative. It is co-creative. And it is about, like, like you were saying, sweating the small stuff, making sure those human stories are at the front of our conversation, as I, as I said earlier. Um, and it's utterly um, never-ending, really. I think we have to make sure that that legacy, that fantasy feedback keeps pushing forward. I mean, over 2,000 years, the city, 
has been the organizing idea of our civilization, really, and they've always been iterative, repurposed and appropriated, and um, that's how it should continue to be. Some stuff's not broken, and we should allow the city, and we should be actively part of that iteration. And that's my firm belief, to play the long game, absolutely. I, 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 I love that. I, I think particularly now where, I mean, I'm sure it's the same in Australia, but some, one thing we're, we're seeing also over here is that, you know, with department stores, shopping malls going out of business, that actually rather than, you know, knocking it down and building a new, you know, adaptive reuse is going to get teeth like never before. And so really enjoying that and enjoying the rich mix of activities that can happen there, but also noting that, you know, because we're so we're so uncertain about what's really going to land in the years ahead, then the ability to constantly pivot and, you know, yes. uh, enjoy the churn and be better and better with each move <clears throat> seems important. And I wonder what you thought about that in terms of what you're seeing. Yes, I think because this this period of evolution is different to those that have gone before. We now have more choice than ever um, where we do things. You don't need to go, to, as you point out, you don't need to go to a shop to shop, a university to learn, or the workplace to work. You can do all of that stuff wherever you like, greased by technology, of course. So do, what do you say? Well, is bricks and mortar gone then? Well, no, it's not. I mean, half of transactions in-store are inspired by online. So the, half of the transactions in store um, owe themselves to online, Googling it and looking at it on the store, looking at it on the web and so forth. What you do have to do is you have to earn the commute more than ever. So I'm not like, do you go to the department store and think, oh, God, I can't believe I have to come here. It's awful. Or do you think, oh, brilliant, they've got it in stock. I love going there. It's just the best thing ever. I can grab a glass of wine, do my shopping. That's what we... Again, I'm going to the fantasy feedback, like I always yeah. do. But if we start with that experience and back solve from there, I know we can answer the question about retail. I'm certain we can. And I'm certain we can answer the question about workplace of the future as well. There's an awful lot of chatter around whether we go back to the office or not. I think we will if the office is fantastic. I mean, I'd yeah. go anywhere that made me feel good. And that's the thing, isn't it? That there's so much of what you're talking about. I mean, we you mentioned, you know, offices full of financiers and lots of people looking at spreadsheets. But actually, a lot of what you're talking about is being an impresario, isn't it? That you know, we are staging experiences here. And if we're going to get people out of their pajamas and off their sofas and back into the city, then it's got to be not just a place of focus, but you know, super collaboration, hasn't it? We've got to energize that. You know, if you think about the skills of the future, the World Economic Forum often publishes the skills for the future. You know, and you and I with teenage ch children sort of think, oh, God, we've got to make sure they've got these skills. And I do that, too. But if you look at those skills, they include uh, analytical thinking, creativity, originality. How are we going to teach our youngest people? How are we going to get our businesses to be soaked in those skills? And I agree it's going to very much be about hosting and being an active learning, progressive organization, it's not about necessarily desks and chairs at that point. <laughs> Clearly, it's not just about desks and chairs. So I don't know if a lot of organizations have these these skills or these programs yet. That's that's my worry, is that we need to we need to make sure we support our customers and support our own business to be to be doing these things and to be activating their workplace in that way or going to a, an active place in the city that even encourages that. Um, that's those new skills and that way of thinking. So yeah, I think there's a way to go. I don't mean to point a rose tinted 
idea of it. There's always an awful lot of work to be done, but yeah, it's going to be a very. If you're going to earn the commute, you're you're going to be worth. It's going to be worth it when you get there. It really does. Well, I, I what I one of those things then that springs springs to mind is I, I remember one of those words on that list of, of what our children should be better at is, mm-hmm. is empathy. And mm-hmm. um, and I think, you know, sort of the, the, the empathizing you know, developer feels critical in this. And I remember you talking to me about sort of the cultural assessment. And I think that strikes me as something that is, that's cutting edge empathy. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yes. And again, it's wrapped into the thriving places assessment that I talked about. So a part of that, which is a critical part, I'm glad you brought it up, actually, is all about understanding what already makes a community really special. What's the superpower that they've already got? And how do we make sure we we listen and align to that? There's something actually that I've really not enjoyed at all about COVID is that people's perspectives have come in and narrowed to their own little suburbs. And that's lovely for the community in which you live, but not being able to walk in other's shoes or listen to others' voices ad hoc has been quite tough on quite a lot of our creative teams for sure. But no, that cultural assessment, that empathy is is critical. It's We take it absolutely to heart. We, we have a founder um, who's gone now, but he was he instilled this in our organization kind of minute one. So you'll find it runs deep, our purpose in Lonelys, and part of that is understanding and creating community. So no, we, we love it. I mean, why else? I mean, I think why else do it? I mean, concrete and steel are lovely, but I mean, really, that's not what it's for. It's yeah. not worth anything unless it's it's about human success. I say it again. Yeah. And I like that, you know, one of your, I, I, the reason I'm pointing sort of body language out, because I think some of this <laughs> will, will go out as audio. And I like the way that you're sort of painting, there's a bit of a narrative arc when you're sort of drawing this, that you're, you're saying, you know, you're sort of designing the journey, aren't you? Mm. That there is so much of this is about all those touch points. And I suppose it's, it's, it's time well spent, isn't it? That there's something yeah. very small over here, something grand over here, something familiar here, something strange there. And I think that word serendipity, you know, mm. has never been so useful to us than, than, than these days. Is that, I mean, how do we design for more serendipity, do you think? Yeah, yeah it's, a good, it's a great question. It's funny enough, when I talk about office and workplace, which I do a lot, um, people talk about the things that they miss because they're not in it. And it's all about the water cooler moment. I should have bought shares in water coolers because it's going to go off next year, I'm telling you. That's what everybody's missed, is going to yeah. stand getting glasses of water everywhere. We should just build a giant corridor where we can all walk around all the time because that's what we've missed. We haven't missed. I haven't missed the meetings because we're having the meetings. They're fabulous. I think we're very good at designing spaces for, for work in, in digitally as well as uh, in real life, in, if you like. But it's the negative space. It's almost as important what you don't build as what you do. So there's areas of congregation, there's areas of compression, there's deliberate. Uh, we have a very talented woman um, in our organization, Annie Tennant, who spends an awful long time thinking about public art and our impact on the existing community as well as um, here in Australia, the original owners, uh, First Nations owners of the land on which we uh, now live. So it's a very interesting weave of the ancient with the m- most technological, if you like. Um, understanding human behavior is our, is our weird, another geek obsession, in a sense. And how can we have do a small impact and have lots of consequences? So I talked to you the other day about uh, curb cuts. And yeah. it wasn't, and we obviously didn't invent curb cuts. They were beautifully invented in Berkeley, actually, in California by someone fabulous. Who had a wheelchair, 
and couldn't get off the curb, obviously to cross the road safely until you got to a driveway or some such, and invented this little curb cut. Now, there are probably about five people in the world who invented the curb cut, but I quite like this story. And then he observed quite beautifully how the curb cut benefited about five or six other groups of people, anyone with a pram or uh, skateboarders could cross the road quicker and delivery boys were doing their rounds much faster because the trolleys would go up. So we will look at all of these you know, unintended but positive consequences and try and build on those as best we can. And it, the, the, this is a muscle you kind of need to exercise a little bit. Um, and yeah, so we're still learning. But it's, yeah, it is a passion piece for sure. I love that. I think that level, level of care is, is so, so critical to what we're talking about here. And I, I think there's there's something that, um, what I, just, I think I mentioned this before, so I think our first in this series, um, Roger Madeline was talking about the fact that we've been stifled this last year and now we all, whether it's investors, whether it's the community, we want to leap back into the city. You know, and he was talking about it being a new roaring 20s. The 2021, <laughs> which obviously we're moments away from, mm. is going to usher in a new jazz age. And I wonder <laughs> what you thought about that. Do you feel well, that optimistic? I actually do. Uh, that's a lovely turn of phrase. It's very, very optimistic and positive. I call it post-traumatic growth. And that's, again, a concept I didn't grow up. But I actually think we will build on a lot of what we've learned. And it has been traumatic. But we will grow. And we they, we will grow better. I think our cities will have post-traumatic growth because there will be less emissions and there will be interventions. And people find their way around getting to work safely. And, and that will all be good. And that is what post-traumatic growth is. We will move to a different place and build back better. I know we've all heard that phrase a lot. But I don't see... Why not, actually? Um, I Yeah, I, the, the thing I worry about probably beyond, um, you know, I love this idea of the new roaring 20s, I hope so, but the only, the only slight black hat I'll put on it is the potential long tail of mental stress. And a lot of people, you know, trauma's all very well, but it has a much longer trail, tail, sorry, of stress than we actually attribute it uh, to it. So I hope that we'll, as a cities, as cities and organisations and communities, that we don't think, well, that's done, and just kind of mic drop out of there, like, oh, good, COVID's over, that we actually realise this ongoing stress is something we need to design out of our cities, and loneliness will be potentially exacerbated by those who lost their work or, or you know, lost their communities or lost loved ones, actually. So I, I hope we can still band together in solidarity around kind of helping each other, just continuing to help each other out. Yeah, so it'll be that growth with empathy. This is yes. growth. Don't stop caring. I know everyone's very exhausted um, by it all, but I think we have found new levels of solidarity, actually. I think it's kind of amazing what's happened in some countries around the world. In some, we found a lot of social unrest as well. I understand, and I understand why. Um, yeah, but I think gen genuinely we're all, like everyone says, we're all in this together and there are new levels of empathy kind of bubbling yeah. up. And I suppose that point of in it together, that's why our public spaces are going to be ever more important. And I think particularly a lot of what we're talking about here, which on the whole, I think, you know, developers traditionally haven't been very good at, it, which is thinking about the live program and thinking that, well, 
the things that bring people together. It's not the opportunity of the space. It's the fact that because there is that opportunity for you know, a social gathering, something means something to me, something that makes me curious and I want to connect with, that's where it's going to work. And I mean, in, in London, in, in King's Cross, you know, one of the things mm. that I loved about it, we lived just up the road when it was being built, was that there weren't really buildings to fall in love with there was hardly anybody working there at first you know particularly after 2008 you know everything mm-hmm. stalled mm-hmm. but what there was was there was a pop-up theater over here there were viewing platforms that kept weirdly moving around that my kids were fascinated <laughs> by and there was a public space where there were events and so yeah. we fell in love with the place almost before there was a place yeah that's seems to be critical i think we need to turn that up don't you think yeah i do and i think that these the way you started was there was a public place how fantastic just hearing those words is fantastic it's too tempting for developers and large organizations to not share the space because they're worried about safety health and safety at the moment or they're worried about security um they're worried about letting the secrets out <laughs> i don't know you see, you see, you do still see in places in the world quite hard lines between us and them, and me and yeah. you. And I hope we blur those lines. I do within the, all the boundaries of understanding the, those businesses and what they need. But still, I, I, the fact that there was a public place, there was a stage, and thankfully yeah. they put something on the stage, which was even nicer. That stage, yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah. That's interesting. That the letting the secrets out. I mean, I, I really feel that that you know mm. hoardings go up. And there's like we're doing some airport projects at the moment. And you know, obviously airports are constant always in flux, never finished, massive building sites. Mm. And and then, you know, rather than you know telling you great stories or using that as an opportunity for some meanwhile uses, there's a you know, the hoarding goes up and it says, Don't worry, Burberries will be here in three years' time. And it's just like, I don't care. Thank I'm you. having a very bad afternoon. <laughs> and, and I wonder whether, you know, it's that, meanwhile, to me, strikes me as a huge opportunity for you know, building the relationship before you actually have the physicality. And I wonder what you thought about that. Yeah, and we have, a, we have a, a, some re- a real estate here in Sydney. Again, forgive me using all of these examples. But um, we have connected with a potential tenant who is a cultural um, performance organisation. And some of their early ideas, and it's a meantime use because eventually we will repurpose those assets and develop on the site, but they are very keen on being our cultural partner and putting in the retail space their rehearsal spaces. And so these beautiful musicians might be playing and they'll hashtag and create links on the windows so that you can log on and listen on your way home, what's happening in the basement, in your office building. And so there's a sense of connectivity from... And um, it's we'll hopefully they'll get a lot out of it because they'll get more yep. audience. We'll get an awful lot out of it because it'll be bringing in people to places which isn't just selling stuff because it's quite easy to put food trucks and stuff. But then it's so nice to have non-transactional program. And to, in this day and age when everyone's short of cash, you've got to find those win-win moments. The performance artists really want the audience. We really want the activation and the footfall and street life. So how do we find those moments where no one's having to pay through the nose? We're all winning um, on that on that basis. Yeah, that's very good. And I think when I one thing that strikes me that I think where that's going to evolve is that 
there's going to be developers thinking more about an open platform. So that almost like a beta permanent way of thinking, you know, these meanwhile uses will then go, hang on a minute, I didn't think of that. We were thinking of retail here or hospitality here or going, we've learned from this and it could be something entirely different, you know, like in Hayes Valley, I think. You know, mm-hmm, in, in San Francisco, mm-hmm. where, you know, th- there was going to be a freeway coming through there. The residents took it over. They built their allotments. They built a market. All of a sudden, it was just like, hang on a minute. We like this far better. This is more socially and economically nutritious for everybody. <laughs> Let's not do the freeway. And I think I'm, I'm going to be interested in seeing whether we see that yeah. happen more. That's a great, I love that example. I, I remember it now, you've mentioned it. But And you do find this. There's another San Francisco example where they're building a giant new kids playground that's in the civic area in the city and to as an indicator of what they were doing they hoarded the area up but on a small part of it they put a, a temporary playground so that the kids could still come and they had pictures of the new one well the children loved the meantime playground more than more than anything and when it came to they taking the hoardings down they were like no no don't take the meantime one down it's the kind of rough and ready one we really love it so yeah you do see these examples where the meantime use becomes so loved because they're not pretentious you know they're just there for a small amount of time you haven't been over-engineered and architected by somebody from, you know, somebody from Sweden who's been blown in yep. to do this unbelievable thing made of Swarovski crystals. It's not like that. It's just this thing. We thought we'd try it. We might fail. And if it does, we'll see you later. And actually, I think people love that. They get There's, a, there's an affection. There's a kind of give it a go affection yeah. for the pop-up and the, the food truck and the guy who comes in. It's very, it's brave. And I think people recognize that. And it's really, yeah. it's really nice to see. And it inspires conversations. It takes us back to where we were at the beginning, because I think, you know, fundamentally, this is the business of inspiring relationships, you know, is, is enabling and facilitating. These these are the, you know, the big words in, in yours and my world, really. And I think, you know, like it reminds me that at ANU, they were building this you know, Australian National University, building this great big student hub. I think a billion dollars was the student hub. And in the meantime, where uh, across, I think it was three or four years, they built this, there were shipping containers, there were membranes, there were you know, a kind of Hooverville of different buildings that was constantly evolving and changing because the students had different needs for you know, this bar or this meeting space or this lecture theater. And then in time, they were painting them and there was street art and there was energy and it became almost like a living what's on board. Anyway, the building was about to open. And the students, I think it was like five, a petition of 5,000 saying, we don't want to move in. Maybe you can sell it off to some tech giant. We'd much rather stay here because it better represents us. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, excellent. I know, and, the, and being appropriating it like that, as a, as they, they've taken it on and appropriated That's That's your ultimate goal, isn't it? You make something and the community appropriates it time and again for the different reasons it might. And that's... That's absolutely lovely. I, I love that. What I also hope comes out of this situation is that we do see much, much more and much richer mixed use. So at its very fabric, we're not we're creating a city which is really, really a mosaic, not all about office in one place. We've done that so well for the last 30 years. All the offices are over there. All the houses are over there and all the old people are over there. You know, it's that sort of we divvied it up I and mean, it's very convenient for the development fraternity and sector because we do one thing and we kind of cut and paste and copy and repeat um, in one area and land values are all the same and uses are all the same but really when you, you think about now the, the heartwarming stories are where the old and the young are, are, are remixing again in their community where 
um, pop-ups and big retail coexist so nicely. And I just hope that developers do richly take on mixed use. Universities coming into cities with pop-ups next door to Apple shops, and you know, and we really like let's let's supercharge that. Why not? I agree. And I think that's why we need to do more storyboarding, because as soon as you storyboard that journey and go, all right, so then I move from here and then this, there's this moment, oh, lovely chance encounter here. And I'm surprised by that. And this happens. As soon as you see that, you see, hang on a minute, we've got to blur these red lines Mm. like never before. And it becomes more a mix of activities rather than a mix of uses. And I think well, that's, yeah, that's right. And that's it's incredibly important. I'm just going to leap and interrupt there because I think the storyboarding is incredibly important because when when you're at the d- development table, what you're actually asking for is to give away some value. So I want the Apple store there and I want the kind of food startup trucks right next door. Now, any real estate right next door to an Apple shop is the most expensive real estate in the city, pretty much, typically. But is it the best experience? If you do that conversation early, you won't give away any value because it can all be rebalanced across the place itself, across the whole place. But if you're trying to do that day two and you've already had a land value or a real estate square meter value yield put on to that store, it's very hard to reverse that from the valuation. So I, I urge that storyboarding, but it, make it the first thing you do. <laughs> Not something that you might do, hi, how should we use these buildings? Because these yeah. buildings have value associated to them, which very much limits the range of ideas you might have around experience design. Well, I, you know, God, as you well know, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, <laughs> it, that whole thing about as we began, starting with the ending, you know, if one begins with the experience master plan, and then everything follows. So then let's say in our closing words, my, my dear Natalie, I think we're wanting... There's growth with empathy is definitely critical here. And then what you were just saying, which I thought was there is generosity, but it's particularly over time, isn't it? Mm. If we're going to be commercially astute and socially useful, it's going, let's be in this for the long game seems critical to that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it, that's what a city is. It is the long game. You know, it is, it is as I said, the backbone of our civilization in almost every single country. And um, the city, it's not a disposable thing. It will evolve. But I think as we get much more serious about sustainable development and social impact, you must, it's our responsibility. It's more than just the right thing to do. It's, it's our legacy to build cities that can be reappropriated again and again without any waste. Um, that we're regenerating with joy. Oh, joy. Thank you. Christmas Natalie. joy. It's been a wonderful conversation. And so now it is Friday evening. It is just before Christmas. It's time for you to hit the gin and tonic. I'm and... allowed a G&T now. That's super. <laughs> I'm happy with that. <laughs> Thank you so much. And it's very kind of you. And I greatly look forward to seeing you on the other side. And uh, I wish you a very Merry Christmas. Oh, happy Christmas. Thank you. I've enjoyed this very much. Thank you for listening to the Free Thinking Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Natalie and this very first series. We've learned so much along the way. Beyond the importance of a mic and headphones, we've heard from city makers, brand builders and storytellers from all around the world. 
rallying around a new methodology for the post-pandemic city, one that is led by a purpose that is both commercially astute and socially useful, and followed through with fast-moving and flexible tactics that are always people first. Now, first up in the new series, Kim Cook, Director of Art and Civic Engagement for Burning Man in San Francisco. Burning Man, wow! What might this great nine-day co-created city in the desert teach us about city making? Do tune in for that. And do subscribe so you know when the next episodes are. And do leave us a comment so that we can get better and better. Keep well and see you soon.